0: And welcome to the Riffraff podcast, hosted by Amy Baker and Rosie Edwards. We set up the Riffraff to champion the work of debut authors and to provide guns and support for those dreaming of one day being published themselves. Today we're chatting to Caroline O'Donoghue, author of Promising Young Women, about the beauty of the writer-editor relationship, sticking to your guns when it comes to being weird, and how to get your book written around a demanding day job.
1: He's taking me. He says it's a surprise. I'm so excited at the prospect of having something to do at the weekend that I didn't even bother to work out the logistics. The whole weekend? Where is Renata? I give myself the answer I'd know he'd give me and believe it regardless of whether it's true. She's away. She's away for work. She doesn't mind. We have an understanding. Marriage is complicated. Put her out of your head. But there is something else, another worry that is pushing across my mind on mounted cavalry. Do Clem and I really have a weekend's worth of conversation between us? It's the kind of thing that's bound to hamper conversation once you start thinking about it, or at least that's what I tell myself when we're sitting in his car listening to Radio 1. I fidget. It's a novelty being in a car. I don't know a single person in London who drives, and can't think of the last time I was even inside a car sober. Cars are for taxi drivers and grown-ups. I'm used to him at the office. When we're working or getting coffee or kissing in a chair that is pushed up against the handle of a closed door, I can almost believe that we're in a real relationship, or at the very least, friends. Peers, even. But now I'm sitting in his Lexus with the self-heating seats and there's an unmistakable air of him being on the school run, like he's about to kiss me on the forehead and give me a fiver for lunch. I wonder what we even look like to the other motorists. He smiles. What? Nothing. You look like you're planning something. Something like what? He takes my hand and strokes my knuckle with his thumb, kisses it, and then lets our hands lie together in front of the gear stick. There's an intimacy to the movement as if we had been getting in and out of the car for years and for a moment I pretend that we have, like he is my boyfriend or I am his wife and this is just another trip to get away from the city, that maybe there are two dogs riddling around in the back seat and we are going to take them to the seaside. Two Springer Spaniels and a newspaper bouquet of chips, a stick thrown a half mile down the beach, a chubby toddler chasing the tide as it retreats inward and running away when it comes back. I make pictures of things that I don't necessarily want but still enjoy inventing. I allow my mind to get curious about him. What if? Renata doesn't want kids anyway. No one would blame you for divorcing a woman who doesn't want kids if you do, especially if you met someone who does want to have your kids. No one would hold it against you, Clem. You could do it. We could do it. The pressure to find conversation eases. The land around the motorway gets greener. The thick tightness of London slackens and falls away, and I think about how happy I am to be in this car with this man with no idea where I'm going. I lean over and I kiss the right angle of his jaw. What was that for, he asks. For free. He can hear, I think, the fullness in my throat, the pure and uncomplicated affection that is usually hidden beneath the topsoil of flirtation and sex and misplaced frustration. Can you... And then I stop. He's interested, though. Can I what? No, nothing. Don't do this to me. What's in your head? Can you see yourself with me he is considering what i mean or worse what i need i backtrack quickly i mean can you see yourself doing this again i say fast agitated us meeting up on the weekend i mean he laughs and for a second i think he gets it that he can see the same fantasy that i can the one with the toddler and the dogs he kisses my hand and he places it very tenderly on his erect penis neither of us says anything his penis is saying quite enough on its own I can see, kind of, why he thinks this is appropriate. This is what we do, after all, and I am wearing at least a £100 worth of underwear. The Spaniels and the young child are gone. I remember, not with desperation or with sadness, but with pure truth, who I am to this man. I am not his wife or his girlfriend or the daughter he's driving to school. I am a girl from work who he has sex with and who he buys lingerie for. He is taking me to the seaside, and it is the seaside because I can see its oily gleam in the distance, as a reward for being easy to manage.
0: Hi, Caroline. Thank you so much for joining us on the Riff Raff podcast. Hi, great to be here. Thank you for having me. It's a lovely room. It is a lovely, <laughs> a lovely fairy room. Um, so for those who are yet to read your debut Promising Young Women, please can you tell us a little about what it's about? Well, the short version is very short indeed. It's Woman Shag's Boss.
1: <laughs> <laughs> tale as old as time a song as old as rhyme um, so that that is essentially the main um, plot point is this woman called Jane we meet her on her 26th birthday and her life isn't going super well it's your classic quarter life crisis um, she's been working at this company for a few years and not really gaining any ground in this very large advertising company called Mitchell um, her boyfriend's just broken up with her and it was kind of very depressing and long and drawn out breakup and she sort of realised that she doesn't have that many good friends and it's in the midst of this sort of very vulnerable new flatmate what does it all mean sort of situation that she's in where she finds herself in a relationship with her much older very married boss who's called Clem Brown and through the through the novel they get deeper and deeper into this relationship and the entire time she knows it's a terrible idea and yet is compelled to do anyway. And as she does that, her health begins to suffer. Uh, her hair starts to fall out and she starts getting weird rashes. And it's sort of what begins as a very Bridget Jonesy thing becomes a very Angela Carter thing. And um, yeah, it sort of like bends into a very gothic trope, I yeah. think.
0: It absolutely does. Like it was, it could, it start. It does start off. You kind of think, oh, okay, you know, classic kind of like romance kind of mm-hmm. thing. But then it get this like magical realism. Like it's a real thriller. Like there's there's a lot going on, on in there. And I wondered whether you, um, when you were writing it, whether you intended to kind of like as you were going along, like kind of subvert those typical genres. You know, if you know what I mean.
1: It's a funny thing. I do think that um, for any debut novel, and I think I've probably post-rationalize this but I think you should take big swings do you know what I mean (laughs) there's like you can you can swing and miss and I think I did swing and miss in lots of places here but I think I swing and hit as well and I'm really proud of it as a debut um and what I what I started out with was I was working in advertising for a long time um and I sort of started writing these little dribs and drabs of a uh, novel uh, kind of observations of things. And uh, it was kind of, I'm kind of one of those people who's always had four or five side projects on at any one time, <laughs> hoping that one of them will just catch on. <laughs> so I had a blog and I had this and I had that and I had a band and all stuff. And I just wrote some observations about uh, that I thought were kind of funny, interesting of people in the advertising world and broadly people at work, which I think is always interesting. Mm. Um... And I sort of had them, put them in a drawer, and then came back to them a long, long time later after an agent asked me, who is now my agent, um, asked me if I, if there was anything I was working on. And I was like, oh, ah, here you go. <laughs> um, and then at the same time, that, that same agent, Brian, her name is, she, um, found these short stories that I had self-published on my own website from about a year previously, and they were very different. So I had handed in this material that was very Bridget Jonesy and very like, just a woman having a time at work, lunch options, my god. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then these things I had self-published were these very gothic and strange, um, magical realism-y mm. thing. Like, I, I had written this uh, long, this, this short story about this girl being uh, haunted by her, uh, boyfriend's, ex girlfriend's possessions, like, she cleared out his, um, sorry. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> this, this woman starts going out with this girl, uh, this woman starts going out with this man, and, uh, she finds in his old bathroom mirror cabinet all of his ex girlfriend's sort of like mini Batiste dry shampoos and <laughs> compacts and bits of tampons and she eventually asserts her dominance by throwing it all out and then it keeps reappearing everywhere. <laughs>
0: oh wow, I love that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I love that kind of stuff too and it's what I was really compelled by writing but when I wrote that kind of stuff and I would send it to sort of short story journals I think all new debut novelists do that. They sort of test their arm with short stories um, and no one cared or liked it or wanted it and um so i just self-published them and forgot about them and then my agent came to me and she was like this is what you're interested in this is what you like and so i sort of smashed those two things together oh. the like work girl you know fretting about boys in office politics and also the sort of dark mechanical heart going at the same time yeah yes yeah, so that's how i that's how it happened, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it.
2: It's and a it, combo. And it, not only is it incredibly relatable in that way to any woman of any age, um, it's incredibly timely and it covers so many zeitgeists of toxic masculinity and mental health and female power. I wonder. Were those things that you really wanted to cover, and those were important to you because those are things that are swirling around at the moment. And how did the idea for this actual narrative come to you?
1: Um, It's an interesting one because yeah, they, it does cover all of those themes that you just mentioned, and, uh, and I, more and more it goes on. <laughs> all these could themes it and more. <laughs> And in a sense, I was writing about those things anyway, because I was, um, when I get stuck into this book proper, I was working for The Pool, which is a women's website, and I was churning out a piece every day. And whether it was about sexual assault at work or, um, mental health or whatever, it seemed to all be coming back to this central point that there's so much going on in women's internal lives and so few places to express it. And, um, I, I think it was just, I was sort of like gathering this momentum. It was like this writing these pieces every day it was like this coal going into this engine that was bubbling up in this novel I think I, I think I really intended it to be that, like okay I've got a really demanding job in journalism I'm going to have this sort of light thing on the side that makes me laugh because I do I, I, I do have a very kind of comedy prose style I like jokes I like making jokes with myself and um, but then you know I had all this stuff going in the furnace at the same time and it just kept coming out and it kept coming out and I felt like I was able to express how I felt and how I viewed these things in a way that wasn't tied to journalism or fact and was more tied to emotion and how it feels to be kind of certain there's a weird atmosphere, but you're not really sure. Like, because that's stuff you can't, you don't see in newspapers. Like, most of the things that women go through at work, you don't don't make it to HR, you know? It's, it's a lots of, like, feeling strange and not quite adjusting to things and not really knowing what people want from you or how they want it. Um, so that's the, what really compelled
0: me, really. Yeah. I'm thinking about kind of like um, you know all the, all the different things that you like you know it's there's so much of the kind of internal monologue like thinking that you're going crazy like that kind of like that sort yeah. of storyline with her you know where she's she kind of justifies things and that kind of stuff and that's interesting to read about I think yeah um so as it's as it's so current did you feel um, kind of particular pressure to write it fast
1: well no so um, it came out uh, i I've, I've finished it finished writing it a long time before any Me Too was but a a whisper in Harvey Weinstein's eye. (laughs) Um, But uh, what was really... Yeah, because I I don't... Nobody was really talking about um, sexual power dynamics at work. I mean, they were a little bit. Obviously, we all know the stats of, like, you know, X amount of women don't do these professions because they feel like their sex is a discredit to them. And we all know these kind of things in a kind of an amorphous way but and I think women have been talking about how they're treated sexually at work for a long time but I think it took actresses saying it for anyone to like care and now we now that and that has created a domino effect with which hopefully we will see reckoning for a long long time um but what is really weird is to I wrote you know as you both know it takes a long time between you finishing a book and it coming out it's like a year and a half generally or even a year um what is really weird is to write this book that you, in your head, is about so many things. Um, it's about how women relate to each other at work. Um, it's about how women relate to their mothers. It's mm-hmm. about how women relate to men at work and all this kind of stuff. And, um, and then putting it out only a few months after Me Too and Time's Up comes to the fore, you kind of have people treating you a little bit like, You've written an extended metaphor for Harvey Weinstein's penis. And you're like, oh, no, you know. That was what I was doing. That was what I was doing. And or you whatever
2: know. Harvey Weinstein's penis allegedly. <laughs> yeah, allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. Allegedly did. Yeah. So it's quite to weird because,
1: because, um, you know, uh, lots of debut novels come out in the summertime. And obviously, you want yours to be among the ones that does really well. And I'm really happy to say that it, it kind of has been among the ones that have done quite well. Um, But you kind of have to ask, like, You know, why? Because Gwyneth Paltrow was assaulted? (laughs) Do you know what I mean?
2: Yeah. It's a really assaulted thing. Allegedly assaulted. Allegedly
1: (laughs) assaulted. Yeah. Um,
2: But with that also comes, because as we've touched upon, it starts off with the sort of the lighter side of kind of, you know, relationships and women's dynamics and Mm. women's relationships, which can so often earn fiction of this kind. The Chicklet title. Yes. Some authors dread it, some authors don't give a shit about it. How do you feel about it? Do you think it's something that any author should even consider? Do you think chicklet is even something we still need to bother about?
1: Um I personally don't give much of a shit. Uh I think you get a lot of, I have had a lot of conversations with authors um who We'll give you a big spiel about how they don't even care if if two people read it. If it's the right two people, then that'll make it all worthwhile. And I'm like, no, it won't. <laughs> Do
0: you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean that's like, a nice thought, but... right? You
1: honestly, um, I I wrote this book to be read and to be read by as many women as possible because I genuinely, apart from it being you know a literary story, you kind of I feel really compelled that like I'd I'd like a lot of women to read it and be like, oh. This obviously didn't happen to me because it's quite fantastical, but something like it has happened to me and now I feel seen by it and I feel like I almost have a little bit more language to discuss what's going on. Like I, I, I met a girl at a, at a book signing and she said, um, oh, my friend is going out with such a clem right now. And I keep telling her, dump your clem, dump your, I just love that. I kind of love that. It's a bit like when you, when your character's name enters into that sort of weird pantheon. Yeah. It's brilliant. And, um, to go back to your question, I think that if, if calling a chicklet is what puts it in more women's hands, then I'm fine with it. Call it whatever mm. you want. Yeah. yeah. Call it Lyro. I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: I think hashtag dump your clam has a real ring to it. Yeah, we
0: should start it. <laughs> yeah. I thought what was really clever as well, you know, because to start off with, you it, there's elements of him that are charming. you know. Yeah. So, like, the way that you kind of, like, introduce that, it's like, oh, who's this interesting man that's actually quite charming and, like, does all this stuff and then instant like, obviously... Mm-hmm you actually yeah. learn that he's a bag. but like it's just it's kind of cool that um, through as you read the book you're kind of learning the lessons with her or but like seeing how she's kind of getting, getting out of control but like I like the way that you kind of set it up so you, you're you feeling similar emotions to how she feels so yeah. that's how I kind of Felt it. Oh, great! Thank yeah. you. Know. <laughs> well, I read it in like one day on the beach, and like was just completely compelled by it. And I kind of, I but found that is
1: like I think the uh, people have told me that a yeah. lot, and I I think it's the best thing to hear that if someone read it in one day in the beach <laughs> because it's like like I just love the idea of like catching someone in that spiral for so long, and especially like. People's leisure time is so precious to them. Like I think there's a like along with chocolate, there's like uh, some weird connotations around the term beach read. Yeah, um, it's like people are using their leisure time to read what you wrote <laughs> down. Like,
2: or I read it in a day because I I got quite a lot yeah. of that in, with my book, and and at first you can think, oh well, it wasn't yes. it wasn't incredibly literary then. And yeah, initially really you're slightly or. offended, and then I'm just like, yeah, but you're competing with people's phones. You're competing yes. with people's eating habits you're competing with people's attention spans which are now the size of gnats yeah for someone to sit and read your book and not be able to put it's it down the for most incredible compliment. Hours on end, it is and every author should take yeah. it as such i think
1: i've been thinking uh, so much about what you just said lately about how um the novel is under so much more pressure than it's ever been before. Because if you think about, um, like there are th- millions of hours of podcasts where you could listen to literally a, a, a lecture on any subject that mm. you want. Like you could learn about like a, a specific Pharaoh right now in like 40 minutes and exactly. just like be an expert in that. And that's amazing. And you can like literally any sort of interest that you're like, you could find media for you on Netflix or on Amazon prime so easily. You could find what, your little itch that you need to scratch so easily. Mm. And that has made the, like podcasts evolve to be really, really good. It's made TV to evolve to be really good and more inclusive. Like things like, like movies like Crazy Rich Asians that's like so incredibly like inclusive because it sees that the need is there and it's responding to need I don't think people can still write novels the way Charles Dickens used to write novels I don't think you can have long flashbacks in a button factory that mean nothing <laughs> anymore you know what I mean I love button <laughs> yeah I <laughs> but do you know what I mean it's yeah. like I think novels have to keep striving to offer you either like a story you haven't seen a perspective you haven't heard mm. like a, you know it has to g- give you something extra because people's attention spans are waning and that's not their fault, you know.
0: Yeah. I wonder whether like I, what I like about books, well, one of the many things I like about books is the fact that it is something that's not like some, you know you're on a journey with it so even so say I read this in a day because obviously I love binging on things Yeah. But, <laughs> but like you know a lot of times you know it will take you a bit longer and like entering into that kind of slowing down of all of the instant stimuli, instant stimulation me. Um, like you know that kind of feels to me that's what I like about books yeah definitely so but yeah but anyway in, in terms of that um, like finding it kind of compelling but really unsettling and um, like I needed to get to the conclusion like I needed to know what happened in the end I needed yeah, to know, yeah. have an explanation and I thought this was particularly great, because the emotions I was kind of experiencing as I was reading it mirrored the story itself, in a way. Mm, right? God. And I wondered whether this was intentional. Did you kind of consider mirroring the reader experience with the events of the book, or did that just happen?
1: Go on more. I'd like to hear more about well, that. Kind
0: of like, like, you know, like, in terms of, like, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, this is quite exciting. You know, she's broken up with her boyfriend, like, you know, just, and then I kind of... Um, you know, was there. I was thinking, oh, Clem's quite nice. The other dude's quite nice. This is quite an exciting time for her. Oh, no. oh no. She's still, like, I she's I like, I do take things on very face value. Yeah. But, like, and th- then it kind of got unsettling and then obviously the pace gets faster and then you kind of see, ha- have all these kind of like thriller kind of themes and stuff. And it, yeah. It kind of, I was speeding up because I wanted to kind of like know what the conclusion was as she was kind of like finding answers and it was kind of getting like, things were unraveling and kind of like, you know, I don't want to give too much away but yeah, like I just yes. I kind of felt like the kind of pacing of it and the reveal of the events and everything were kind of mirroring how I felt as a reader oh, I'm so glad you said yeah. that that's
1: fantastic because I think definitely uh, I think anyone can write a couple of short stories or a few articles a few blogs whatever you want to call them but I think um, one of the things that debut novelists struggle with the most is things like pacing because mm-hmm. like to like again to go back to the attention thing to keep a reader's attention over the course of 365 pages yeah um, and to sort of pepper enough events in there that like keep that speed up the plot or whatever that is one of the things i think i struggled with the most um and i'm really glad that it worked i guess yeah, you know it, mate. yeah <laughs> thank you yeah, i
0: thought it was really pacey and like you know like because like so many so many pacey novels now will be like you know the chapter will be a cha- like a page long or you yeah paragraph yeah it's such a funny things, but things, you haven't it? done that like yours are the kind of normal length chapters so you've you've nailed the pacing well done Thank you. I wish that there was
1: like a really specific like debut pacing award. Should <laughs>
0: <Yeah. laughs> start one. The yeah, FF debut pacing award. Done. It's
1: <laughs> so unglamorous. Just like it, these unfolded quite naturally, yeah. <laughs> and it's super niche. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and- the other thing that the book is is incredibly funny, and Thank you. as we've talked about, you like telling jokes to yourself. Which is,
0: well that's <laughs> it's, it's totally the, cool. It's, we it's, do it's, that as, as funny writers. Yeah, isn't there, there's nothing better than like reading back over what you've written. Sorry, I'm not doing a not but not Nothing all, better than laughing at yourself. Yeah, completely. Oh, yeah. like, oh my god, I'm hilarious. Yes, I know that's because as well. Like I honestly,
1: I don't know how people like um Carlo Nasgard or whatever do it because like to be like it's such a lonely job. Mm. And especially if you're quite social, I'm quite social and like I need sort of people to spring off or whatever. Um, and to like make yourself laugh It's like, mm, I'm so clever and fun. Yeah,
0: it's so good. <laughs> Finally, it's yeah. a reward for being alone in this room. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes like, I like it when you don't know where it comes from when Mm -hmm. like you know like you'll be writing something and just the silliness like you'll just be like where the hell did that innocence come from but yeah anyway I think I think
1: it was really (laughs) important sorry I mean that that, that was was basically like the
2: question (laughs) we just wanted to talk to you a little bit about you know writing comedically and also touching on you know darker topics and bringing wit to them to lighten them up and make them a bit more readable and accessible
1: thank you so much for saying that because this is something I've always uh done, in that um, I started writing, I started taking writing seriously, yeah. I always wanted to be a writer, I think most people do, um, but when I was about 19 I started this blog, um, chiefly because I was a bit younger than most of my friends and they all emigrated, because that's what you do when you're from Ireland, is that you emigrate, and then then <laughs> if you're younger than all your friends, uh, you have no one to talk or make jokes to. <laughs> <laughs> and so i started writing this blog called working Prowess. that i mean if i look back and i actually like went back to the day and deleted a lot of the back catalog or i made them private because i was like this isn't this it's is just, this very 2009 working work and Prowess. prowess, prowess yeah we are 100
2: percent linking to that yeah. So. yeah
1: and um that was almost a way for me to show all my friends that had gone to australia or canada or new york or london that like I was uh I could still make them laugh and I could still do something worthwhile. So uh, and then people started responding to the to the comedy of those blogs or whatever, and that is what spurned me on more than ever. And uh when I eventually did move to London when I was twenty one, uh that was what I was always pitching myself. I was like, I'm the funny girl writer and uh then I don't know. Um I feel like I got less and less commissions for that because People don't really know where to put funny writing in magazines mm. or in websites. They don't really get as many clicks. Just to be like, "Here's my humorous observations." Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it's been less and less of a place online for just gentle humor. Yeah, it's
0: such a shame. Though. <laughs> it is. I feel gentle like humor. right. Like
1: a few, a few years ago, like the hairpin, the toast, mm. all those like sites used to be like lovely gentle female humor, and now there's not a lot of places for it because yeah. it just doesn't support itself economically the way it used to, or maybe it never did. Who knows? Um, and so. It it can be really hard sometimes that like there's not a lot of places to make jokes still, and so what was that was really lovely about being able to do that in my novel because
0: it's my novel and I make the rules. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Did that was was when you were when you were pitching it were mm. you or like how did you pitch it for one that's always quite an interesting way of doing it but like you know were you pitching it in terms of like I'm writing a funny you novel know, a funny romantic thriller-esque mm. with magical realism like were you how d- what was yeah. the kind of like tagline for the book because it is so many things
1: yeah it was definitely an interesting um so I um I, I met my agent um because I had been getting some online traction with my art- articles through the pool and she was interested if I had thing to write and we basically came up with the format for this novel together and a publisher had also noticed me um and sort of said to me oh look we're looking for a kind of a new millennial marion keys person you're irish and funny (laughs) (laughs)
2: you can be her you can be
1: her (laughs) it's like thank you um and i was obviously delighted i was like yeah i will i will be your millennial marion keys that is who i will be and marion actually gave me a quote for the cover of this book which is
0: it was lovely
1: i i think marion is is a jewel and a genius and uh, not enough people appreciate the literary greatness to her work, but that's a different podcast altogether. Well,
2: in fact, we, before we started recording, we were talking about Marianne Keyes in yeah. relation to Juma Malif, And I think we need to just get Marianne Keyes on the bloody podcast. Oh, she's
1: so good. Yeah. <laughs> she's I mean, she's so not good. a
2: debut, but we can, we can she can just talk about. She can
0: just, she can just she Ta- we'll just talk. Oh see. God, talk
1: to her about her debut it's called oh, it's called Watermelon it's really really great yeah I, think um, I read that when I was like yeah, yeah it was cool. I think it was one of the first like um chiclet books I ever read or so, let's put that in red comments you know yeah. <laughs> um sorry I've completely so, gone anyway, down sorry, three
2: all, also Marianne Keyes is old news you new
1: Marianne Keyes. <laughs> anyway yeah, yes, yeah. yes sorry um they were basically looking for that um and I said, yeah, I'll do that for you. And I, I went away and I wrote like 25,000 words. And uh, for the first 10,000, they were very much the the happy clappy office lady mm. thing. And then it kind of it began to verge by the second 10,000 words into a more gothic territory. Mm. And I'd written a sort of outline as well. And they were like, Thanks, but no thanks. Oh, really? This is odd and not what we really asked for. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's like you know, biting into what you think is a chocolate cake and it's made of dirt. <laughs> oh
2: god! I just love that response. Not only is this weird, it's not even
1: what we asked you to do. Like. Yeah, like, dude, um, what have you? What yeah, it was genuine. It was quite a blow. Yeah, it was. Um, it was a bit upsetting, mm, I suppose, um, because like twenty-five thousand words when you've never written anything that long before. Mm. Is loads, yeah, that's and a lot of words. for someone to just like not give you cash for that, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how dare they! But anyway, all was not lost. Uh, my agent said to me, "You know, go uh, and finish the book, and I'm, we'll we'll go to other people about it. We'll send it out." Yeah. And so I did finish the book, and I sent it out, and uh i think this, she sent it out to like 10 publishers and five of them came back with an offer
0: oh wow yeah That's amazing. So no amazing. it was
1: fabulous it was such a weird cool week you yeah. know it was awesome um especially when you've just been rejected by mm. by somebody to have five you know it's yeah. like it's cool it's like when like someone dumps you it's like well oh, look who wants to take me now <laughs> you know?
2: it's varago
1: it is Virago's my publisher big um, shout out to varago they are fantastic uh and so was my editor, Sarah Sabbath, and the minute I met her, it was funny because I, I packed all my meetings into one day because it was all I could get off work. So I, yeah. like, I literally met with five publishers in one day, or four, I think. Um, and most of them were like, so we love, um, the friends, and we love the office, and we love the housemate,
0: maybe less of the other stuff, oh, less really? of the magical
1: realism, less of the gothic turn, less of the, of that kind of mm. thing. And it was very politely that, and they were giving, they were giving me a really hard sell about like making again that sort of Millennial Marion Keys Millennial Sophie Kinsella that sort of thing and it was like okay okay and then I met Sarah Savage from Brago and she was like, I like the weird bits best. Oh. And that it way was so, it was like meeting your long lost twin. Yeah, it's yeah. like, you have the other side of the amulet. <laughs> 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 oh, oh,
0: oh. <laughs> ah, they're coming
2: together. You know, there's necklaces you could get from
1: Argos. Yes, you know, Cloud Accessory you, yeah, is this, best it's like, friend.
2: Yeah, it's got like one bear and another bear. No. That's what's I
1: That started so many like friend turf wars in primary school. Because oh, sure. like if there was a best friend group of three and then who didn't get the next You can yeah. actually
0: get a best friend three. What? Everyone In knew they were bullshit, way. though. <laughs> I remember my older
2: brother buying his first girlfriend one of those. Best friends? I think it said, like, love or something. They had the bears on, and it was from our boss. Jeez. I've well, never received one. What so a player. Ames. I'm
0: just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to buy you one, though. Sorry. Sorry, not because um. I don't love you, but just because those neckties are shit. I'm surprised <laughs> they
1: haven't come back as a kind of a kitschy thing. Do you know so, what I hey, mean? I'm going to bring them back. Right
0: I think the wristwatch yeah. should bring them back, Amy. I think them <laughs> and
1: Tamagotchis are about to make a massive comeback.
0: Oh, I've still got mine. Really? No, I actually talking. Speaking of Forever Friends, I lived near to the guy's mansion, and I've never seen a mansion that big. Sorry, the Forever Friends mansion. The, French, the Forever Friends designer, his mansion, the person who originated Forever Friends, which was the bears on those necklaces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had the biggest house I've ever seen in my life.
1: Holy crap! But
0: yeah. weren't you smaller? then like if you went back now I was it was still, like lion bars yeah really but you still think I was, like, I was an adult when, oh, I, when I saw it yeah. my I mean, god I was, just, was <laughs> <you. bath. laughs> wow Let's
1: go.
0: that's Completely amazing intel
2: yeah wow, yeah. wow. Yeah. this has taken
0: a made loads. weird time but like how
2: amazing <laughs> that you like not only fought for that element of your book that was really important to you, that yeah. you waited out, would you advise authors who have written something a little bit obscure that's not like super mainstream to to how much do you need to listen to the, indus- to the industry professionals when they're saying, it's hard we to love know. this bit, but not so yeah. much the other bit. But if you're dedicated to it, do you think it's worth holding
1: out? Um, it's it's really hard to know because um for example so um to continue this story with with Rago and Sarah uh, I I met her and she was so clearly able to explain my own vision back to me in mm. ways that I hadn't even formulated yet kind That's of cool. thing mm. It was very very cool it was just like that lovely moment of meeting someone for the first time and feeling so understood um, but then like I I think I assumed as all debut novelists assumed that like. You know, they tidy up your spelling (laughs) and then, and then it goes to press or whatever. And then, uh, but what actually happened was that, like, this, this woman who, like, I fell in love with and she, you know, was so able to, like, artistically see my vision and stuff, she, like, bare down a heart on me for the <laughs> next year. And, you know, she was really, really tough, and she made me rewrite the intro, which I thought was hilariously funny. Like, I really, really thought it was, like, it opened with the scene of, like, um her with, like, chips in her handbag, and she doesn't want to, she's eating them on the train, and she doesn't want people to know she has food in the train, so she starts, like, eating out of her she ha- She's, like, suckling her own handbag. <laughs> um, I'm already involved. I don't and, know. like, genuinely, I thought it was a really funny scene, but it actually didn't do much in terms of like setting the scene of the setting the sort of uh, rolling the carpet out for this novel and the intro that we have now which Sarah made me work so hard for and I think there was like 11, 12 different versions of it I now think is probably the best part of the book and I think it completely rolls the carpet out for the book so I do think you should fight for what you think is your vision and there are things that I like put my foot down about or whatever Um, but yeah, you sort of have to make each one a judgment call. I think you probably have three things as a debut novelist that you can really put your foot down over, and the rest you sort of have to listen to what they have to say, you yeah. know, after you make the deal, that is. Mm. I think you should not make a deal with somebody who doesn't get who you are. Do you know what I mean?
2: So what are the three yeah. things that you say you would never give way on?
1: I don't know. I don't think, like, three things. Oh, okay. I was, Just, like, like three. hanging on for the yeah, three, things, the three but, like, things. What are they? <laughs> no, as it, as, as it whether it's, like, you know... The inclusion of a character, or or whatever, or the ending, or whatever it is, um, like I remember one of the arguments that we had was um, uh, Sarah's actually re- that pacing thing we talked about earlier on. She's really great at that because she she is like put out so many incredibly, um successful thriller is like she put out apple tree yard which is like one of the paciest thrillers i've Mm. ever read it's so addictive and so she's always one of these people who's like how can we do to make the stakes higher 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 Mm. and like really escalate and that sort of escalation thing that you feel towards but that she was so instrumental in that um but one of the things she did say was like it would be it would really raise the stakes if jane got fired halfway through the novel. But what actually does happen is that Jane gets suspended for two weeks without pay. Which, you have to admit, like, being suspended for two weeks without pay, that's like a... It's like a real nothing... Like, that can happen to anybody. Do you know what I mean? And it's not really that dramatic, you know, as being fired. And she was right on all those, you know, points. But why I put my foot down was, like, first of all, she has to have to go have the humiliation of going back after two weeks Mm. and second of all we have to know that these people she doesn't work with aren't evil they're just following procedure and there's something much darker and more distressing about people harmlessly following procedure than people who are just like in a cabal you know Mm. against you like I think so many people they want they want the sexism, sexism that happens in the world, to be like there's a group of men in a room deciding how to make your life miserable. Mm. When actually sexism happens because of really faulty systems that don't um, acknowledge or accommodate for women or anyone who's not a man. You yeah, know, yeah.
0: Mm. and that's much more. That's obviously much more realistic. Yeah. yeah, and and so
1: that so that that's an example of something I put my foot down about. But I had so many different. I had I was able to justify it in a way that made both of us happy. So I do think when it comes to authors negotiating with their editors it will always be like a very complicated thing but you have to really have that intellectual like ted talk length explanation yeah. for it you know how
0: how how far into the day of seeing the publishers did you meet her was it like the last? Oh, one middle, or, of the day. oh middle of the day. Middle of the day, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cause like, imagine if it had just been like the first one and then, or like the last yeah. one. Yeah. I,
1: I think it's something that people don't talk about enough, actually, is that they don't talk about the editor relationship. Like, I know Ali Smith has had her editor forever, yeah. right? And, uh, yeah, they're, they're such an instrumental point. I think having chemistry with that person is a huge deal like if you even if like you only had one offer only had one offer <laughs> and you met with someone and you just felt like you had no chemistry with them I think it's but probably better to have no book deal mm. <laughs> because
0: you have to like deal with them for the next like two
1: years yeah. you know
0: yeah absolutely and that is so true isn't it because like they, they teach you so much that like you wouldn't like then what a skill to be t- as an editor yeah. to be able to tell what the bits are that need to be like it's yeah interesting I'd like to know how their minds work more totally yeah, yeah. That's cool that you that that you've had that experience. It is.
1: Yeah. Sorry, it's not probably interesting for people to hear about. It. No, I think that's so. really interesting. Experience. Well, I'm interested.
2: Um, and obviously, you mentioned you write for the pool, which a lot of people oh. have heard. It. You also write for Grazia, Grazia, Irish Times, The Times. Loads. You're yeah. so prolific. I mean, oh. you're, you're bloody everywhere, Catherine. <laughs> Leave some work for the rest of us. Um, but and you're also the co-host of School for Dumb Women podcast, yes. which is very exciting. You are so busy, you said you'd like having lots of side projects on yeah. the go at once. How do you find time to sit down and write and focus on writing? And what would your advice be for anybody who is, which is most aspiring writers, trying to fit their writing in and yeah. around, day jobs, side projects, kids, whatever?
1: Yeah. Uh, so the thing about being freelance is I've been in freelance for a year. And before that, I worked promising young women while I had a full-time job at the pool. And what's interesting is I don't my output isn't any greater in terms of my fiction writing. Uh, which is annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Um so when I started promising young women at the pool properly, I basically I don't know, I just got the wind up me in a really big way. I got had this sort of very panicked sudden drive where I realized that I wasn't planning a wedding, I didn't have any kids I lived in like a decent flat and I had a good relationship and this was probably the last time in my life where there would be not that many demands on my time apart from like friends and like admin and that kind of thing. Um, and so I just started getting, I gave up drinking for about a year. Probably oh, six months.
0: <laughs> um, yeah.
1: And, and you know, it, it sounds very, it's very weird thing to put in the podcast, but one of the reasons I gave up drinking first because I was getting chronic cystitis. And I, the, the drinking was aggravating oh, it.
2: Both of us, me and Amy are like nodding
1: in that. Yeah. Type of thing. I feel you sister. It was such a weird thing. I was getting quite exercise all the time. So I had to give up drinking. And then I suddenly had all this time and energy where drinking used to be. So I was 25. Um, and I was, you know, in that real mid twenties thing of like going out three times a week. And, uh, then I, so I stopped doing that and I suddenly had the sort of reserves of energy. And, uh, <laughs> I started getting up at six in the morning, every morning, bashed out 500 words and went into work. And I found it the most invigorating, happiest time of my life. Um, Obviously, once I got into it and it wasn't easy every morning, but in general, it was really great going into work feeling like I was creatively already in the black. Do you know what I mean? Like I had already done this. I'd already given this thing to myself. And everything I did after that was just a bonus. Like, you know those rare mornings where you, like, go to the gym before work and you're like, everything else is just, like, whatever. You know what so I mean? To,
0: I've been doing exactly that. I've been do, getting up and doing... I haven't got a job to go to, so I've been doing 2,500 words first thing in the morning. And wow.
1: Then, That's so many words. It is a
0: lot of words, and some days it's awful, but some I'm I'm living in Spain to write a book. So, like, it's, oh, it's, I like, see, it's I for see. a purpose. But um, then, like, after having done that you've got the whole day to kind of focus on all the other stuff but you just feel so much more productive and also I think one of the things that can drive you mad about writing a book is not having any kind of like you know sign of progress and if you're not monitoring that but if I know that I've written those words I know that like that's done it is invigorating and it's also it also means that you like you're more up for like getting up the next day and doing it because you know how Definitely. it makes you feel to have achieved that and,
1: and the idea it. that like oh my god if I keep going this way I'll have 80,000 words by December or whatever you know that's an amazing drive um, but in terms of advice obviously like nobody wants to hear like just get up really early and <laughs> it'll happen eventually <laughs> Um because people don't like that but what I, I do think is an important piece of advice is um you have to be honest with yourself about what you're doing and you have to be honest with the people around you because it's really hard when people want you to go out on a Tuesday or Wednesday night or they want you to come to their birthday or whatever, like, you will never have a shortage of friends or family who have demands on your time. And you have to just say to them, "I can't. I'm writing a book," and that is such a mortifying thing to say mm. because everybody wants to write a book and everybody wants to be that person who just silently does it and then like just ha- like just appears with a book deal <laughs> a year later. We'd all love to be that, but you can't. You have to be incredibly frank with your friends, being like, "I'm doing this. I'm taking it really seriously, and I'm afraid for the next few months I'm not going to be around that much." Mm. And the more you say that to people, don't do that thing where you talk about the plot of your book a lot, because then you'll get that false thing where you like feel as if you've already done it because mm. you've talked about the next chapter with your mate. Don't talk about the details, just talk about the fact that you're doing it, and you'll find yourself even more humiliated by the prospect of having <laughs> to tell your friend you didn't go to a birthday because you were writing a novel that you're actually now no longer writing and you've abandoned. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So the more people you tell, the more contracts you make that you have to do this, you know? Yeah. That's
2: so true. That is such good ad- advice because I think a lot of writers, exactly like you say, are so nervous. A about yeah. saying like uh, I'm writing a book, so it sounds a bit wanky. But also like acknowledging the allowing yourself to acknowledge that you're a writer. It's, and yeah, so many people say. I didn't call myself a writer until I saw my book on the shelf, or until I got oh my a publishing God. deal. And Sad. like, you're a writer. Yeah. If you've written something on the back of an envelope, and you do that a couple of times. Like that, you're yeah. a writer. You but know, but there is this,
0: there's such a kind of like mystique around it, isn't there? Yeah. Like, you know, not, especially if you have got another, a different job that's not related to writing. Yeah. Yeah. I think like a lot of people think, you know, that once you call yourself that, like, what happens if you don't deliver on those mm. aims? And and al- kind of also,
1: I think. And you will, you will experience this and it's not a nice thing to talk about, but, um, if, okay, so, so you, you've done it and you've been doing it. And at first people are really like, Oh, well, good for you. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it's writing a novel. How novel. <laughs> uh, um, and then you do that. And then you sort of hit that point midway and you're still doing it. And people are like, Oh, are you still doing that? <laughs> and there's, there's a kind of, you, you get from some people a slight nastiness because it's a, it's a, it's a thing that so many people want to do. Not everyone pursues seriously or pursues seriously to the end. And there enters a kind of an edgy nastiness where people kind of want you to fail. So it proves to them. That it is indeed very hard, and it wasn't just them who couldn't do it. And they
0: were right not to start, or it, exactly,
1: or to, not, or to, not or do to it, yeah. give up on yeah.
2: their their marathon that they were running, or their cookery course.
1: Completely, or, you know. people are slightly, especially women. are are kind of delighted when they see somebody else giving up at something it's like you've all had that thing where so you've been at dinner with someone and you're like oh I'm actually not drinking this week because I'm feeling a bit blah and then and your other friend goes oh I'm not drinking either so great and then you're all waiting for someone to fold and as soon as someone folds everyone gets to fold right? so it's a weird thing yeah
0: yeah yeah yeah. but that's again that's another reason to keep going yeah isn't it? it's another kind of thing of like proving yourself knowing you're serious about it totally to get it done to like, like
1: I know, I, I wouldn't have had the courage to admit, to either A, write a book or B, admit to myself and to my friends that I was doing it if my best friend hadn't gotten a book deal a year previously. Mm. And I remember when that happened and I was, she writes very, she was writing, it was a cookbook, so it's like a very different thing to well, what give I was. What was her
0: shout out? Was her name?
1: Um, Ella Riz Bridger, she's my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> I love her so much. Her book, Midnight Chicken, is coming out in January. It's like a mm. memoir of cookery. Of memoir through food but it's like amazing recipes you learn how to make the best roast chicken ever but anyway she got she gotten this deal a year before i had and because it was different a different form of writing and i can't really cook there was not not even like an edge of jealousy it was just like oh my god if you can do this amazing thing that maybe i can too and so the more people that pull it off the more people feel like they can pull it off yeah. do you know what I mean
2: absolutely. absolutely well that's how we met
1: <laughs> Even though we're not allowed to have necklaces. Aww. I'll buy you a necklace.
0: We'll yes. go to the Forever
1: Friends Mansion <laughs>
2: together.
0: All I want is a necklace. And yes. um, finally, if you could just tell us a little bit about your next book. I believe you're writing a uh, second. Yes, I am. I just, um, I'm editing my second novel
1: right now. It is quite different. It is about this, uh, young woman. Her name is Charlie, and she is the daughter of Irish parents, but she lives in England. She lives in Essex. Um, And she and her best friend make films together and they have made this film about her father's life, which is about a tragedy in his very, very small rural Irish town in Kerry that has, um, that, that killed a lot of people in the 60s and never really got investigated kind of thing. So they sort of decide because they're 24 and they have a camera that they're going to be the ones that's going to, that are going to document this thing. And then she ends up going back, going to Ireland for the first time and having to confront ideas of what it means to be Irish and uh, also this sort of mystery that turns out to be incredibly sinister and goes all the way to the top. Oh wow. <laughs> so it's a very different kind of thing but it still very much deals with, you know, female identity and how women deal with one another. Excellent.
0: Oh, can't yeah. Wait to read it. When does do we have a date or
1: Oh I think probably 2020 this 2020 point. yeah when sorry lads away, I know <laughs> it does seem forever away it'll it come
0: around so quickly <laughs> yeah. here in the blink of an eye yeah well thank you so much for joining us thank it's been you a real I've loved it yeah. yeah well we loved your book so thank you for joining us yeah. the riffraff podcast is hosted by co-founders Amy Baker and Rosie Edwards come say hey at the hyphen riffraff Rosie and I just wanted to thank you all so much for listening. We're so incredibly grateful. So please do let us know what you think, what you'd like more of, and any debut authors you'd like to hear from. Also, it would be really lovely if you could subscribe and give us a review so we can spread the word and give these marvellous debut authors the exposure they deserve.